This week's episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 10th of August 2022 at home in Wicklow. And it is a discussion about great feminist characters on screen. And it is, it's not trying to take in every great feminist character on screen in the movies. Uh, I focus on one movie in particular, and then I focus on one actress in particular, uh, with reference to a few others here and there throughout the the history of the silver screen. There'll be many omissions. It's not meant to be comprehensive. Um, But... I this this whole thing was started when I sat down to watch Paul Mazursky's 1978 movie An Unmarried Woman which at the time was hailed as this groundbreaking feminist text um and I sat down to watch it and yeah it offered some things and some things I didn't really go for and it got me thinking then about who is or who are the great sort of feminist actresses out there now who's doing good work who who would you go to that would might that might have the same impact on you now that Jill Clayburgh had in that 1978 movie then so so that's it it's uh, the focus is pretty narrow um it is, of course, in in general, a bit of a, a bit of a discussion of of feminism, what that is, whether the word feminism or feminist is is entirely useful, is entirely accurate. If it becomes a bit of a misnomer, if it becomes something that is um, reductive um, and becomes too easily used as just um, an equivalence, uh, an equivalent of just strong, independent um fiery i don't know it, 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 that's that's what i'm that's what i'm talking about in today's episode i kind of look at that idea um and then look at the actress that i focus on is the the, the wonderful the brilliant um the absolutely reliable francis mcdormand so if you like her um i think you'll enjoy this episode okay that's it that's it so come come with me come around the corner and uh, listen to me talk about feminism in the movies. I'll see you right there. Cheers. Bye. Ooh, not gonna change my mind. Leaving the dream behind. My mo- Hi, my name is Dara Clear, and you're listening to The Clear Out. How are you? You're very welcome. Welcome to The Tell. So, are you coping? Are you coping with this weather? It's uh, <laughs> it's dangerously hot for Irish people. We wilt, we wilt in the sun. It's a scorching, an unrelenting twenty-four degrees out there today, and that is more than many of us can take. My daughter is completely unimpressed. She's like. Nah, nah, it's not, it's not hot. This is nothing like Australia. (laughs) She's very proud of her Australian roots, is my daughter. And uh, is happy, happy to stick that in my face at every opportunity. Anyway, stay cool, stay hydrated 
and uh, stay in the shade or if you're going out there to chance it slather yourself in sun cream <laughs> I had an absolutely beautiful swim this morning down at the sea it really doesn't get much better um, for this part of the world I didn't check the temperature but it was um, certainly around the 17 degrees mark <laughs> which I know for some it's like hey, what? <laughs> but it was just beautiful it was flat there was a bit of a current but it was uh it was flat and very clean and um as has happened to me uh before at that particular swimming spot i was uh i was offered something when i got out of the water i was offered a sausage and that's um that's not a euphemism for the filthy minded amongst you there was a northern irish couple having a little camper van holiday they had a very very shiny not particularly big but a very shiny shiny brown camper van and they were sitting in front of it facing the sea cooking themselves up a, a veritable feast of cooked meat products and um by the time i came back and was out of the water they uh they seem to have polished off most of it. Oh, they were doing eggs at that stage, sunny side up. But uh, I was offered, I was offered a sausage. I politely declined. Anyway, there you go, friendly, friendly holiday makers down by the sea. And uh, no one comments on you when you're swimming and the sun is beaming down and it's a blue sky overhead. Everyone goes, sure, of course. What else would you be doing except swimming? It's only when you're swimming in the middle of winter and it's freezing cold inside and out that people are looking at you and scratching their head going, what the hell are you doing? But no questions today. Just delightful. Delightful. Anyway, here we are. Another week has passed and it is time for more, more reflections, more reflections and explorations of wellness. And this week, I'm very interested in feminists. <laughs> I love an old feminist. I no, I'm I, I'm particularly interested in female feminist role models or feminist iconic feminist characters on screen. And this is not going to be. This is my disclaimer. This is not going to be in any way comprehensive i'm not trying to do a history of feminist icons on screen i'll i'll name i'll name drop a few um but no this this little area of reflection was stimulated by my watching the 1978 movie an unmarried woman written and directed by Paul Mazursky, Paul Mazursky, who I think he died about seven or eight years ago. Paul Mazursky was uh, an American writer, director, actor. Uh, amongst other things, he directed Moscow on the Hudson, an early, early Robin Williams vehicle. Uh, I think that one's from 1984. Uh, he also did 
down and out in Beverly Hills, which I haven't I haven't watched that for a long time, but I remember enjoying it a lot when I saw it as a I guess a fifteen year old I feel around that time. So it must have been late eighties. That was um Nick Nolte's tramp descending on a very well to do Beverly Hills home and um changing their lives with his his uh his life wisdom and putting a, a pinprick in their balloon of privilege but uh, i remember it being a very funny um sort of a <laughs> sort of a sexy comedy i'm trying to remember what he got up to he got up to all sorts of of mischief nick nolte anyway um back to an unmarried woman paul mazarski also gave us Bob and Ted and is it Bob and Ted and Carol and Alice? Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice? Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Uh, a movie I've never seen and and still would like to see. Um, Paul Mazursky was known really for his his treatment of sort of upper middle class urban American uh, relationship issues. Love, life, sex, um working it all out um very very white um american stories i suppose and cousins in a way of of woody allen's material slightly um slightly less comedic i suppose comic elements comic comedy dramas i suppose but um, in any case, an unmarried woman had been on my on my um, on my kind of list of movies I was trying to get to, and I finally sat down and watched it. And before I watched it, I was under the impression that it was that it was going to be quite um, edgy, verging on maybe not confronting, but certainly. You know, you try to put these movies into the context of the times um, that 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 they were produced and put out there in the world, and yeah, I was under the impression it was going to be something quite uh, unprecedented and frank and candid in its treatment of uh, the breakup of a marriage, and. Yeah, clearly by the title, focusing on the the wife as the the protagonist of the story, and the the victim of a husband who who wandered, who strayed, and began an affair with a younger woman. Um, um, and what struck me right off the bat was how young. The lead actress was was Jill Clayburgh, and I think she was only in her mid thirties when she made it. And it was a a widely hailed performance, and yeah, it seems a a much lauded movie, uh, a kind of a, a key feminist text of seventies of the seventies, uh, you know, American movie scene, and Jill Clayburgh was hailed as one of the you know the great actresses of um of the time and yeah i just found myself not quite being able to fall for it um 
you know, from start to finish. Uh, I struggled. Not helped. Not helped in any way by Bill Conti's unbelievably over-the-top and unnecessary and intrusive score. Bill Conti, um, unless I'm very much mistaken, Bill Conti was responsible for the Rocky theme. Um, that sort of swelling, um, swelling, triumphant, inspiring score that uh, accompanied uh, Rocky movies and fit very well into the Rocky movies. But I was watching this movie the other night and uh, he, he seemed to he seemed to want to kind of throw in a bit of that kind of, you know, the, the swelling. I can't remember if it was swelling horns or swelling more euphemistic territory there. Swelling horns are swelling strings to to sort of um, emphasize the, the 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 moments of you know dramatic tension or dramatic discovery in the story. And I just wanted to go, oh Bill, stop with it. Just back away, back away from the orchestra, back away from the baton. Get the hell out of here. Anyway, what can you do? Um, just busy, a busy, 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 busy score. In any case, what didn't what didn't I go for in this movie? It's from nineteen seventy eight, and you can see, you can watch it, and you can see this sort of representation of of womanhood, of um, of sisterhood, because. Um, Jill Clayburgh's pals, the, the her car, you know the the, the 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 friends of her character feature strongly as her sort of support group. You have a, a teenage daughter who's speaking in a very frank, hip seventies way, um, and yeah, it, it, but it, but like right from the off, I found myself resisting it. And maybe it's just dated. Maybe it's just dated. And I was trying to 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 look at it and go, okay, so like what was this a very big deal back in the uh back in the late seventies, if you were a woman in her twenties, thirties, forties, was this showing you something you, you hadn't seen before? Was this lifting the lid on the struggle of of women? Um, and at the end of the day, I, I mean, she wasn't like we're talking about infidelity here, and a certain amount of sexism, I suppose, and chauvinism, and kind of sexist presumption. Um, but this was her character, uh, you know, is married to. A broker. She's living in a nice apartment in a nice part of New York. Um, there's a, an amount of of privilege, I suppose, an amount of comfort, and in no way uh, it, was she being. And again, I'm, it, it, there's, I suppose there's a, a sliding scale of um, mistreatment, maltreatment, being abused. Uh, and it was infidelity and the end of a relationship because of infidelity and uh, a husband 
um, having a, a lapse and a, a weakening of his will and not being able to stick the pace. Um, and ultimately, the husband tries to come back and she's not having not having a bit of it because at that stage she's sort of been liberated and gone on a sort of a, a sexual adventure and stepped out into the single scene. But again, I was looking at it going, I would have found it far more interesting had she been an older woman. But this was a woman who, again, her character had been married for 16 years and had, a, I guess, a daughter who was 15 years old. Um, and so had probably got married uh, if we if, if if we if the character was meant to be the same age as Jill Clayburgh got married at 18 and had a, a child at 19 um, and again I don't know maybe that was very much the norm but um, I don't know that was I mean it, it, I, was, I was just kind of I just felt okay you're, you're, you're 34 you're grand everything's going to be cool it's going to be fine um, and I don't know. I guess part of what I wasn't loving about her performance at times was the was a certain bit of a certain amount of cookiness and a certain amount of I don't know like like a lack of insight um born of the privilege I guess. But then there's also something about the the way Paul Mazursky filmed it or directed it and there's something about the uh the sound recording on the movie that like the the vocal cadences there's something that just doesn't quite punch through with that that kind of energy that you might expect from watching that kind of story that kind of drama uh, the breakup of a marriage a woman finding support through her friends experiencing these awkward dates but again, it might just be the dated 70s-ness of it and the sort of language being used and the cadence of that American 70s, uh, you know, I guess, East Coast voice um, set as it is in New York. Um, but it did... I mean, look, go and, go and check it out. That's all I can say. I mean, her performance reminded me a little bit of Diane Keaton's in Annie Hall. And I know some people love that performance. Um, that, it, it, I just don't warm to those kind of kooky characters. Um, I never have. And maybe that's just, you know, that's just on me. Um, and that's not to say I don't enjoy Annie Hall I do now it's more straight up comedy of course um, and I continue to be a fan of a lot of those Woody Allen films of that time and later but um, it did get me thinking it did get me thinking after watching that movie and that there's a I found myself wondering did the movie reflect a limitation on the writer's part on Paul Mazursky's part did it reflect a limitation of how he saw women did it reflect a limitation of how women in general were being perceived at that time um, and the sort of casual presumptuous chauvinism of men who who 
were were not engaging it seemed in any sort of serious um analysis of sexual politics or sexual dynamics um or their role in them and it was just um a particular mode of viewing women and approaching women um and actually further to this <laughs> further to this on the same in a similar area if we're talking about you know chauvinism or a certain 70s mindset i saw an extraordinary uh, quote today from donald sutherland uh, it just came up on on my google news feed and i know that stuff is you know algorithm algorithmically put together to try and get you to click and i, I try to not do that i try to resist clicking and i didn't click on this so it's a picture of the white haired white bearded donald sutherland i think a, a great great actor um and I, th- I, was, I think it was from one of the tabloids and I guess Donald Sutherland is in his 80s now but the quote was it was kind of Donald Sutherland reveals a fair um, you know with famous actress uh, you know back in the day and the quote was she had the most beautiful breasts in the world and um, <laughs> I was like oh Donald <laughs> really is that now I don't know if they took the quote from now I don't know if they it was a quote from many years ago now I immediately thought of the the much the much discussed and much speculated upon sex scene from don't look I always forget if it's don't look now or don't look back don't look now the Nicholas Rogue film I've referred to this film before it's a pretty harrowing watch about how a couple uh, are coping or are failing to cope with the death of their child and featured a famous sex scene between um, Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie. And I guess that's from the early 70s, that movie. Uh, now, it, I thought of that film. Now, I wasn't thinking specifically of Julie Christie, but I just thought, okay, that might have been Donald Sutherland at that time. Um, also, famously, Donald, Donald Sutherland had... A sex scene with Jane Fonda in Clute. Um, that's a that that movie stands up very well, as does Don't Look Now. Two really really good seventies movies that speak to deep unease. Um, that great kind of period from New Hollywood, and really interesting directors making very adult movies. Um, now Paul Mazursky was in a different a different school and as i already mentioned he was looking at things through a a comic lens um definitely interested in something real about relationships about how men and women get on how they work things out definitely interested in the sort of sexual uh awakening or revolution or feminist revolution um and yeah, but but not not in not in that paranoid, dark, haunted um, school that would have given us directors like Nick Rogue or um, Alan J. Pakula, 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 um, who did Clute. Anyway, yeah, 
an unmarried woman made me think then what way was Paul Mazursky viewing women or was he just going this is how women are seen this is how they're perceived because the Jill Clayburgh character once she starts to sort of um, brush men away it's actually there's a hilarious kind of double cameo <laughs> the actor David Rash I think that's R-A-S-C-H-E who you might know from Succession if you've been watching Succession he is one of the, the senior guys who um, is in a, in a management position to the, um, oh, I've just gone blank on the family name, to the family, the main family in succession, all those extraordinarily, um, <laughs> extraordinarily flawed and ambitious and treacherous um, uh, people who, we are led to believe might be based on the, the Rupert Murdoch family. Um, what are they called? Ugh, anyway, anyway, David Rash plays one of the senior men. At the he's he's tall and blonde, well, kind of white haired in that. He was in hilarious. Well, I thought it was hilarious. Maybe it doesn't age that well. There was a very funny Mike Hammer series, probably going back to the mid to late eighties, uh, and he was in that. But he appears in um, An Unmarried Woman. Early in the movie, she's on her way to either meet her, you know, her friends, her female friends, or to meet her husband before they've broken up. And she goes into this bar and David Rash is there and he's got this kind of silky cravat and he's standing like near the doorway or by the bar and is clearly checking her out and gives her a hello. And um, he looks ludicrous. And she kind of looks at him and just kind of sweeps on by. Um, and then later again in the movie, after she has, uh, after the marriage has ended, and she's going back to the same bar and she's just trying to kind of get herself out there um, after her therapist has advised her, look, get out and you've got to get on with your life and consider, you know, seeing men. And she passes by the David Rash character again in the bar and he sort of makes it a gesture to acknowledge her and she just tells him to F off. <laughs> and he's like, oh, that's it. That was his little moment. Two little moments. But I was like, there he is. <laughs> Sorry. An aside. That's all that was. I apologize. But yeah, once Jill Clayburgh starts to sort of find herself and assert herself and sort of turn the tables on these men. I mean, I guess that was the sort of the, the grist for the movie to go, this is now an empowered, awakened woman who um, is seeing the landscape landscape more clearly and treating men the way, the way men would have chosen to, to, to treat her. Um, so, you know, sleeping with someone and then leaving um, immediately after sex or you know, not hanging around to start fawning and pining and wanting a relationship. Um, and again, yeah, there's, yeah, I mean, it, it it's just so of its time. Um, and there was one scene, though, there was one scene that I found quite, um, quite moving, even though, I don't know, again, there was something I just found myself resisting about her. Her acting style but she's she's in she's having a scene with her therapist and just relays this very simple story about 
getting her period when she was a kid and waiting for her first period. And yeah, it was just told in such a sort of simple way. And I think Mazursky, having been an actor, like a lot of actors who become directors, they they give their actors in their movies time. They give them space and allow them to sort of breathe and find their way through a moment or a scene. Um, and that one was quite nice. So that sort of recalls my um, my discussion of Turning Red a couple of episodes ago. Um, and yeah, it kind of struck me. There's also, for those of you who love music, <laughs> uh, a horrible duet uh, between... Jill Clayburgh and her daughter I can't remember what the actress's name who played her daughter and they sing this very um, soul free uh, version of Paul McCartney's Maybe I'm Amazed um, yeah just bizarrely shoehorned in late in the movie I don't know anyway and Alan Bates is there Alan Bates who seemed to be just a, a stalwart of 70s movies and a much admired and desired leading man um i guess i just haven't seen enough of alan bates far from the madding crowd um women in love i mean i struggle i struggle to think of other alan bates movies but he is the man who she ultimately uh develops a new relationship with and he's a a colorful artistic type um and there's a story about a pickled herring which I didn't find at all funny but um, but there you go so An Unmarried Woman feminist classic I don't know Jill Clayburgh that performance I don't know her character as a iconic feminist character I don't know there was one other lovely scene with her friends she's just sitting on the bed in her apartment with her three pals and her daughter comes in and is chatting to them all and one of the friends just has this great moment where she just talks about having no confidence and starts to cry. But it was it, it was beautifully, beautifully acted and just kind of punched through a lot of the other 70s tropes and quirkiness. Um, really, no, just a really, really nice moment of... Um, of honesty and vulnerability and I never really never really felt that I got that with Jill Clayburgh so after all that what it got me thinking about then was who would you look to who would you look to in the movies to go that is a an actress who consistently delivers strong female characters and distinctive and you know sometimes i don't i don't think it has to be overtly feminist um i think sometimes just seeing a strong female character um on screen can invite that word and invite that um you know, the, 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 the sort of nomenclature of feminism, um, you know, strong women, independent woman, fiery woman. And then 
it, it, it kind of becomes a reduction and it becomes um it, it becomes something like sometimes a label erases the self and it's a you know it is reductive and it is dismissive of the individuality and the uniqueness and the the unique fully fledged fully fleshed out humanity of a character um and so then you know the, the point i'm making is maybe feminist is a misnomer um and again i think i've mentioned that in in earlier episodes i grew up in a household where um the idea of women not standing up for themselves or being cowed or um being in any way compromised or or held back those those ideas didn't exist in 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 my family in in the household i grew up in um my mother was yeah strongly um feminist in her own kind of credentials and her own outlook and very much unafraid to speak out express herself and i certainly felt growing up that's all i saw amongst her own friends and the adult women who came through our house uh and i just took that as the status quo and never questioned it um and yeah there was, so i mean there was nothing i suppose apart from being aware of a feminist struggle outside the household or becoming aware of that as i got older um the reality was i was living in a household that um those things weren't an issue there was no sense of injustice not that i was aware of anyway um so i just took it as par for the course that women would be strong outspoken opinionated um you know no less than any man that i knew um no less than any adult man that i knew and look again i'm coming from a sort of a a hippie background my parents were hippies they were politicized they were thinking for themselves they were making different choices um and of course that informed and continues to inform my own views in in many ways not i'm not a complete uh, carbon copy by any means but um it's always there in the mix it's, it's part of my political um social grounding and education um and yeah as i say continues to inform a lot of how i view the world and think about things but um in any case to get back to the 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 idea then of feminist representation on screen and i don't know i mean like, like just for for the sake of simplicity we can break it down into a few weeks ago i was talking about people like beyonce and marilyn monroe and 
Beyonce and Marilyn Monroe are probably they they fall into a different category. These were these are um, iconic and iconicized uh, representations of female sexuality and beauty, amongst other things. But they are large elements of what. Well, certainly in Marilyn Monroe's case, it might have been you know even more dominant more you know they, they were the more dominant aspects of what hollywood sold us when they sold us marilyn monroe um um now beyonce is as previously discussed um a sort of a, a business empire all of her own and um an icon to many uh, many people and many many women particularly for everything that she's achieved so far um, and that's all aside from what she presents and what she what you know what she sells as the kind of Beyonce brand or the Beyonce image but a lot of that is tied up with a certain you know her physicality her beauty her appearance her sexuality and that's very much in the mix now if we go back to movies and go there are always going to be actresses who are pitched into that lane, into the bombshell lane, the beautiful lane, the ingenue lane, um, the, the the sex lane, the sex kitten, the um, whatever, like the, the, the hot actress of the moment. And it takes... It takes a lot, I guess, for for actresses to to combat that, to try to steer their careers into a lane that isn't as reductive. And look, not all actors, actresses are created equal. Some have more to offer. Some have a deeper reserve of talent to draw upon. Um, but I think it's safe to say we can understand that distinction um certain actresses it is the body it is the pretty face it's a certain facility for a certain type of role or maybe that's all they're offered and then other actresses are not out there in the same way or don't begin their career in the same way and their choices or what they're offered uh can be very very different um and if you go back, if we start, if we go back and start with old Hollywood, you think of, I think of certainly actresses like, um, sorry, like uh, Betty Davis, uh, maybe Joan Crawford. Um, you know, these were staples of kind of women's pictures. Um, and certainly one of my old favorites was Catherine Hepburn. So I grew up, <laughs> I grew up like a... <laughs> Like a complete loo ball. I grew up loving old Hollywood black and white movies for some reason, as well as watching the fair that was being offered to me growing up in the 70s and 80s. So a dedicated Star Wars fan and Indiana Jones fan and coming up, you know, loving, you know, Michael J. Fox uh, vehicles, Eddie Murphy, whatever. That was very much in my wheelhouse. But alongside that... <laughs> Alongside that, I'd be uh, devouring Betty Davis movies uh, like maybe like like Jezebel um, 
and loving uh, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn vehicles um, and yeah movies from those sort of iconic 40s and 50s male actors um, particularly Humphrey Bogart maybe Edward G. Robinson James Cagney Gary Cooper James Stewart uh, yeah the westerns John Wayne um, yeah I mean I, I, I was there <laughs> and uh, so anyway those actresses stand out to my mind particularly Betty Davis and um, Catherine Hepburn Catherine Hepburn you check her out in the Philadelphia story and there's no question about her feminist credentials and she's scathing about the the frailty of men and her philandering father who's off having an affair and really great stuff great stuff altogether um and she continued throughout her career to play uh very strong female characters um great great actress uh so I think that's that's kind of that's kind of the legacy, isn't it? Like that's that's where you're trying to you're you're drawing from, um, and you go to the seventies and you have actresses like Jane Fonda, I suppose, um, who Jane Fonda did a lot of interesting work, um, and the aforementioned Jill Clayburgh, um there's a sort of a you know there's a there's a connective connective tissue um you know who who gets to play the you know between who gets to play the the serious parts and the serious characters um but i found myself i mean meryl streep you should probably throw into that mix as well i mean meryl streep is maybe just in a class of her own because of the the extraordinary strength in depth of her um you know her filmography like right through her career so many big dramatic performances and serious movies from the start and like one of her great feminist characters is probably from the devil wears prada uh where she was playing the the character who was based on anna de wintour um and yeah you know again uh, Meryl Streep she just brings she brings something she brings something I don't know uh, and it's it's interesting because her, her thing that she brings it's a very Meryl Streep thing and sometimes it can be a little bit much um, but she's very bloody good at it um, but the actress I found myself thinking of who for the sake of what I'm talking about today captures uh, this idea of strong female representation strong female characters and again we can we can revisit this idea of just because it's a strong woman does that mean it's a feminist character and then the question is what does feminism mean anyway uh, because whatever it is, what, like what wave of feminism are we into now? But Frances McDormand is the actress I'm thinking of. Now, Frances McDormand is closing in on 
40 years of movie acting. She started out in the Coen Brothers' Blood Simple. And she's married to... Um, she's married to one of the Coen Brothers, Joel uh, or Ethan. I can't remember which. And she has been a staple in their movies over the years. And had one of her most acclaimed performances in Fargo um, from, again, was it mid-90s, wasn't it, Fargo? And that that was one of the performances that came to mind. I think one of the first things I saw her in was, again, probably late 80s, um, Mississippi Burning as the wife and like the battered wife of one of the racist southern cops in that um that drama directed by it was alan parker who did that wasn't it and featured gene hackman and willem dafoe as the fbi agents investigating the murder of civil young civil rights activists down south um I think that film is now regarded as problematic and I'm not sure if it's because it's got a bit of a white saviour trope where the white guys come in and sort out black people's problems. But I remember loving it when I saw it as a teenager, loving Gene Hackman's performance, loving Willem Dafoe's performance, Frances McDormand, I think it was um, Brad Dorif as the horrible, slimy, sneaky racist cop who was married to Frances McDormand um excuse me I found it very dramatic and compelling uh when I saw it as whatever 15 or 16 year old uh but I gather it's um it's it's um it's run adrift on uh on certain certain issues now I'd have to I'll have to do a bit of research and find out what, what what the issue is or rewatch it and just give my own opinion um so as it stands i stand by it um but yeah francis mcdormand so fargo which i rewatched not that long ago and it's again i tell you what she brings she just brings this very sneaky intelligence to her parts and she can do comedy really well uh see burn after reading uh, a sort of mid-level coen brothers comedy um from the uh, the 2000s with uh, george clooney and, and brad pitt um she can be very very funny uh very funny as the the, the film editor in hail caesar another coen brothers movie which i like a lot but um in any case this intelligence that she can bring to her dramatic parts very it's all in the eyes it's all in the face it's very quiet it's very held it's very still but it is so palpable and fargo she's the the female sheriff investigating whatever it is the disappearance or the murder of someone um about to mix it up with some very dangerous men trying to pin william h macy to his misdeeds and she just goes about her business in such a capable way and you can't watch a movie like Fargo and not think that the Coen brothers love Frances McDormand (laughs) one of them certainly does and loved her character wasn't it Marge um 
absolutely brilliant and just the smartest person in the room uh, even if she was out in the wilderness surrounded by snow uh, brilliant brilliant performance and it probably was another 20 years uh, before we got again another acclaimed performance um, in three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri this fierce performance as a grieving mother trying to find out what happened to her was it her son or her daughter I can't remember her son I think uh, I'd have to watch that movie again but again another sort of ferocious performance and there's something that is so appealing and I've said this before I can't stand and it's I think it's something American actors are particularly guilty of uh the desire to be attractive on screen, the desire to be cute. Um, Will Smith has been my number one target for this over the years. Um, and I used to love and still do all his performances, Philip Seymour Hoffman, for his lack of vanity. Uh, the total the total lack of vanity, being totally unafraid to be ugly, unattractive um, in every conceivable way. And... Frances McDormand can bring that to her performances as well. Now, if you go back to the idea then that a Hollywood actress is meant to be this thing, and Frances McDormand has played attractive love interests in you know in different movies herself. Um, but if you think if that's an idea that feminists fought against, that a, a woman isn't just her appearance, a woman is more than her her body, more than her her breasts, more than her face, more than her sexuality. Um, and that's only one aspect of what maybe feminism might be might have been fighting against or resisting changing the narrative changing the dialogue around that and that is something that Paul Mazursky an unmarried woman does successfully sort of go into certainly in, in what it presents um, Jill Clayburgh's character as, as having to kind of negotiate these idiotic men um, clumsily, clunkily making passes at her, um, reducing her to her her, her body parts, um, and again, I don't know how successful they are in conveying the idea that Alan Bates's character later in the movie appreciates all aspects of her. Because there's a certain amount of there's still there was still a certain amount of her being patronised. You know, oh, I can't quite work you out. You're so oh, you're so challenging you're so unpredictable um and again i suppose that as another idea of um reducing femininity and reducing womanhood to you know something that can be controlled something that can just be put in a box and again the probably the most reprehensible idea behind um that reduction that a woman is there to please a man and a woman is there to comply with a man, you know, with male desire. And a woman is there to respond to and play up to the male gaze. I guess that's all in the mix as well. Now, I think we're a long way from 1978. Um, although, you know, we can argue, you know, there's, there's, there's still, oh, I don't know. I mean, I've, I, <laughs> I always get a bit hesitant around this area, but... I don't know. 
I don't know what to I mean and this and this again I'm tapping into exactly what my wife was resisting like a few weeks ago when my daughter and I were sitting down to watch some like it hot what are girls seeing and I mean it, it doesn't matter it's not about what are, you know it's, it shouldn't be just about what are girls seeing it's about what the, you know what does anyone see in how women are presented and how they're represented uh what what sort of imagery what sort of iconography around womanhood around femininity around female bodies around female power and i don't know i mean we're still we're living in a time where there is an a, an abundance of sexualized imagery at our fingertips at all times and even when we don't want it at our fingertips it's there um it's i don't know it's it things are very they're kind of hyper-sexualized at, at all times, it would seem, um, still in, you know, a lot of advertising, in um, social media, influencers, um, still. I mean, look, yeah, I mean, I, I sound like an old fart. Frances McDormand, she is the antidote. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's not a zero-sum game. It's not a zero-sum game. It's not oh well, to be a credible feminist or to be a credible representation of, of you know, strong female power, independence, um, you know, a, a woman with kind of sovereign control over her own body, her own image. It's not about throwing away glamour, beauty, sexuality. Uh, and, and I suppose kind of mid-90s girl power movement was trying to kind of go no we can still be all this but it's it's for us because we want to be like this uh, as epitomized by my beloved spice girls um now i'll leave it up to you to decide whether the spice girls were actually beloved um by me or not um francis mcdormand though again this lack of vanity and i Again, knowing I was I, knowing I was going to talk about this, I sat down and watched Nomadland, for which she won the Best Actress Oscar. Um, did she also win the Best Actress for Three Billboards and Fargo? No, is she a triple Oscar winner? Anyway, great performances, regardless of Oscar, um, regardless of receiving Oscars. Nomadland, if you haven't seen it, is a movie from two years ago. And I think it's based on a non-fiction book by, is it Jessica Bruder? I'm not sure what the author's name is. And the book was adapted and made into a feature film by Chloe Zhao, who uh, directed it, wrote it and edited it. And very simply, Nomadland tells the story of migratory, nomadic American travellers, workers, people in kind of later stages of life close to sort of retirement age who were slammed by the global financial crisis and the recession and took to the roads in their camper vans uh, their rvs to travel across the american west from and, and to to travel to kind of pick up seasonal work so migratory workers who live on the road and the key um the key sort of town 
community that was focused on in the book. Uh, it was a town called Empire. I can't remember what state it was in, but basically they had a huge, a huge uh, gypsum industry, um, mining, quarry, distribution, whatever, in this town. And it basically, it disappeared overnight. The recession killed it and everybody just vanished. And this, the character, the main character in Nomadland that we're invited to sort of go on this journey with and view this experience with is played by Francis McDormand. And what Chloe Zhao did was basically drop the Francis McDormand character into the real nomads the people who had been through the actual experience and are out there living in their vans and traveling across states like Nevada and Arizona and and doing it tough um but doing it with this sort of I don't want to say a pioneering spirit but this great sort of spirit of resilience and something more positive than mere resignation um and nomadland is one of the great great pieces of humanistic cinema uh, ever made um i just thought it was absolutely brilliant and francis mcdormand we've, we're seeing it through her eyes and she's ever present in the movie and there's just this, her own humanity. And you, just, you kind of go, well, you know, Frances McDormand is in there. Frances McDormand, the person, is bringing so much of herself into it. Um, and this is what great actors do. And there's a tremendous vulnerability and fragility in her character. But there's also pride, strength, anger, frustration joy appreciation it's such a beautifully nuanced performance um and yeah i just i i i sat down to watch it and i i'd been putting it off i was waiting to kind of be in the mood i don't just watch things willy-nilly you know i had a sense of what the movie was about and i thought no i want to be you know in the right frame of mind to sit down and watch that and um it just it was perfect i was just in just the right headspace and i really enjoyed it i was just very receptive to everything that was going on in the movie uh david strathairn is one of the only other named uh like name actors in the movie the rest were non-professionals they were just people playing versions of themselves and doing so you can tell you know you can just tell when the camera's on a non-professional and it was just lovely and you realize, oh my God, you get so sick of the gloss, so sick of the polish, so sick of the ridiculous production values and the CGI and the slickness of the vast majority of movies that we consume. And Nomadland is like, this is, you know, this is a great story. And these are interesting characters and interesting people, and they're real. And. It's not to, it's not to fetishize, um, it's not to fetishize uh, poverty or struggle or difficult situations 
or to fetishize people who are doing it tough and merely surviving because that's patronizing and kind of gross and laughable um but you just take that story on its merits and you take the movie on its merits and you look at the the cinematography and chloe zhao's choices and there's a sort of a space and there's a tempo and there's a restraint and there's a an easy seriousness and it's not it's not overtly politicized it's not waving its banner it's not a call to arms it's you know even though we have very clear a very clear protagonist to identify with um it's just it's just lovely it's just a beautiful movie and Frances McDormand's performance is absolutely excellent um and the final, it, the final scene. This isn't a, this isn't a spoiler or anything. But like it, it, the final scene ends with her revisiting her abandoned home in that town, Empire, which she had earlier in the movie described to a young traveler, and spoke about how her their house, the house she had been in with her her husband, had um, had this wonderful view out to the desert with nothing between them and the mountains and it's kind of the final shot of the movie her just walking out through the back door of that house out into the the you know the, the landscape and um for some reason well not for some reason for very obvious reason it, it reminded me of the closing shot of the searchers where you see john wayne um standing in the doorway clutching his arm before he turns and walks away with that iconic John Wayne gate and the door closes on us, the viewer. So it closes to black and that's the end of the movie. Um, so Nomadland is, uh, as well as anything else, part of that great kind of American movie tradition that has a relationship with America the country, America the land and the people who traverse it and have lived their lives on that land and live their adventures and live out their their failures um, as well as their triumphs on that land and yeah it was kind of a it was a nice little connection that occurred to me as uh, as the movie came to a close um so yeah so I mean there you go so Frances McDormand there that she's my pick <laughs> she's my pick um for a great great actress and maybe arguably a great feminist actress who plays has played so many interesting female characters throughout her career uh, very recently I haven't seen it yet but very recently played Lady Macbeth to Denzel Washington's Macbeth, um, a Coen Brothers movie that's uh, that got a lot of good reviews, um, shot in beautiful black and white photography, I believe. Um, another another actress that that kind of falls in the mix of trying to walk in both lanes: young, beautiful, highly sexualized, but also dramatic, serious, powerful, independent, is Jennifer Lawrence. And I remember my, my sparring partner uh, in, in Melbourne, the, uh, my co-teacher, 
my American friend from Tennessee, she was like, nah, don't rate her. Don't see the beauty. Don't see the appeal. Um, uh, my friend Anne, I don't think she listens to the podcast, but you know, she'd be, she'd be happy. I think she'd enjoy this one. She'd be very much show me the old school glamour. Take me back to the golden age of Hollywood, the beautiful dresses, the gowns, the makeup, the hair. And Jennifer Lawrence just doesn't um, doesn't tick the box for her. But I think Jennifer Lawrence has a lot of that going on. I think she's I still think she's a very interesting screen presence. Loved her in uh, her breakout movie, Winter's Bone. Loved her in Silver Linings Playbook. Another movie that seems to have become problematic or dismissed for some reason. Um, but I really liked her in that. And she's in this extraordinarily um, dark and nasty Cold War thriller. That's like, It's kind of set in like now. Uh, this movie Red Sparrow from a few years ago. And she plays a, a ballerina, prima ballerina, who suffers a horrendous... Um, accident during uh, a performance of swan lake i think it is and um is then coerced by her sinister and very young uncle the the belgian actor matthias schonartz to basically become a um like a, a an agent of the russian secret service and she has to become a what they call a sparrow and these are basically young attractive men and women who are trained in the arts of seduction to um, to achieve their government's ends um, via espionage and whatnot. But that movie is, like Jennifer Lawrence has some very stark, um, nude scenes in that movie. Um, and it's all contextual and nothing feels particularly gratuitous or lascivious or leering. Um, and it's, you just kind of go, wow. Um, maybe I have spoken about this before and I apologize if, 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 if I'm repeating myself. But then, again, in terms of what we're talking about, there's an actress who goes, yeah, this is it. This is my body. And in the context of that story and that character, she's using the body to achieve what she wants. And there's a very clear agenda. And it's quite a slippery, tricky little movie. Um, got mixed reviews, but I've, I've gone back to it a few times. I think it's, there's something about it that, that I really like. And I think she's brilliant in it. And yeah, that, 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 um, that word fearless comes up. So to kind of put yourself out there and go, yep, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bear all and it's not just about sex scenes um, it's, there's a bit more going on than that but I think sorry just taking a drink there my throat is dry this hot day I think Jennifer Lawrence could be put into that category as well in some of the some of the roles she's played so far um, I mean maybe even in the Hunger Games that that franchise of movies she's definitely a strong female character anyway there you go that's kind of all i have for you today um i was trying to tie in this other idea specific to nomadland they're just up the road from hashtag blessed there's a house quite a long house relatively new build we drove past the other day there were seven cars outside i was like okay we were wondering who needs seven cars 
And then we were wondering, who lives in that house? And then we were thinking, oh, well, maybe it's a shared house. And there's, you know, a few different families living in there. That was grand. And then I only noticed the other day, there were a couple of signs on the front entrance to the house. No trespassing. Now, it's a low fence. You can see everything clearly. There's no big hedges, nothing to obscure your view of the garden and the house. So there's a, there's a no trespassing sign, you know, an official one, not hand painted or anything. And I think there's like an absolutely no trespassing sign. And then there's another sign, trespassers, <laughs> trespassers shall be shot. I was like, what? <laughs> Who the hell is shooting anybody apart from Dublin gangsters um, and former paramilitaries in Ireland I'm talking about trespassers shall be shot it's just it's just it's just ludicrous anyway it it, it it made me think more about like what's going on in that house or who's in charge of the the signs that they're getting absurd trespassers shall be shot Good luck with that, lads. Now, the reason that the only connection I made to Nomadland is that's a that's part of what the nomads have to deal with: not being allowed to park in certain places, no overnight parking, and that hassle of finding a place where you can be made welcome. And I was going to make a further connection and take that idea of trespass um, into that into this area this this uh, discussion of feminism that i'm having today well feminism via a handful of movies and a handful of actresses um but the idea of of trespass and you can make that a physical thing the sanctity of anybody's body we can gosh we can you know we talk about that i immediately think of roe versus wade i immediately think of the supreme court in america and their overturning of that law the right of women to have abortions um and that is uh, again this is i've done this you know i I shouldn't get into this at the end at the end of an episode I'm, i'm really about to wrap up but fundamentally we're in that area when you're talking about trespassing you're talking about going into a place you should not go you're talking about someone going these are the rules this is the boundary, that's the limit, go no further, there will be consequences. And I suppose if you put that into a, <clears throat> sorry, if you put that into a, a feminist context and this idea of chauvinistic presumption of I can have access to that and the objectification of the female form and the pursuit of male the pursuit of the satisfaction of male desire at all costs um that that gets that gets us into the area of trespass um that's all i was thinking of that's all i was thinking of so it's 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 not particularly profound um but i don't know i mean it's um i mean ultimately i suppose you, you come away and you kind of go it's to be taken seriously it's to be given that unquestioning sort of credibility and 
recognition and validation without any other nonsense going on and without being patronized or condescended to without being reduced without being dismissed um and i suppose if you were a woman coming up at a certain time and you felt like that's all you were getting that would drive you to the brink that would make you want to to kill (laughs) and you were bloody right perhaps um but i mean what i just laid out there you know you, you don't want anybody to be subjected to that and then it just becomes about power and who has power and how do they wield power and who's taken seriously and who's not taken seriously um and then imagine if you're if you're a woman and you realize well is my entire gender not taken seriously in a way that men have never had to deal with um and that i suppose that was ultimately was was that the like was that the 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 first fight of feminism just take us seriously i don't know i don't know i i need to get a feminist on the show on the tell if you're a feminist and you want to come on and set me straight lay it all out for me or if you're just bored with the whole idea um i don't know this is the place to come to have a natter to go through it um but i don't know i'm a fan i'm a fan of uh, i'm a fan of women i'm a fan of feminists i'm a fan of asserting yourself and not taking any crap um oh is that the time <laughs> It's time for me to get off this mic. Right, listen, never mind. Never mind taking my crap. Let's just wrap this up and uh, we'll leave it for another week. And maybe this is a, a topic we can we can treat of another time. So, um, so yeah, there you go. Frances McDormand doing it for herself. Just such a great, great actress. Check out those movies if you haven't seen them. And, um, yeah, do... Do throw me some support on social media if you like what you're listening to. If you feel it's worth sharing, please do. Just share. Just bump it on to someone else. Check out that podcast. I like what that guy talks about. Um, you can, of course, uh, support me financially if you want to make a contribution to the show. You can do so using the supporter link, which will be there somewhere in the description, wherever you're listening to this episode. Or you can become a regular contributor to the show using the Patreon link. What would a Patreon target be? Maybe it'd be nice to try and round up a few new patrons every month. Do you think 10 patrons a month? Would that be very ambitious? Do you want to become one of the new... Do you want to become one of the 10 new patrons of the podcast? Go to patreon.com forward slash the clear out. And you can do just that. That's just a few bob a month. <laughs> Give us a few bob. Any chance of a few bob? You can get me on social media. The Clear Out Podcast is on Instagram. It's on Facebook. It's on YouTube. You can email me at theclearoutlive at gmail.com. And if you're a Twitter user, it's The Clear Out 2. The Clear Out 2. That's it. Nice and simple. Okay, that's it. I will be back next week with more. I don't know what. And um, I hope you'll hope you'll find time to join me. 
okay that's it so uh, yeah this one go girls go sisters go women do what you do it's great I love it okay that's it mind yourselves take care I'll talk to you real soon all the best bye keep